This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. galaxies we hear, the Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Tell Me This. I am one of your co-hosts, Carrie Borkowski, and I'm here with my one of my favorite people, Dr. <laughs> Brianne Roos. And I must say, Hello. since we since we don't, um, we only do audio. I think Brianne had um, a day of teaching because she's uh, dressed to the nines for for our podcast, all, looking looking all, good today. <laughs> yeah, thanks, thanks. Usually we show up in our hoodies. So yeah. hoodies. Uh, but, you know, and I mean, hats, you're in a, right? you're in a polo shirt. So even having a collar up is a step up from my I usual know, outfits. It's a, that, that is a step up for me having a collared shirt. But Brianne, looks well, for much. both of us, usually we're usually we're in hoodies and a and a hat. So. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. The, the semester Thanks. has officially begun. So yeah, it's a dressy day. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Cool. So we did a sort of teaser, if you will, for the new season. And so this, I guess, sort of marks the official first sort of long episode of season five. And as a reminder, we really are centering still on belonging and really drilling down into belonging to self. And if you have been a longtime regular listener, you're probably saying it's about damn time because, <laughs> because I feel like we allude to the self and the role of self so much. So now we get to spend hopefully an entire season exploring what this is and maybe what it isn't to some people. And um, so today we are going to talk a little bit about why we've picked this topic, some of our own sort of both professionally informed and personally informed, um, maybe talk a little bit about some of the literature we're reading and even share parts perhaps of our own belonging story. Um, and then wrap up as we always do with some, I don't know, like the practical sort of experiential side of this so that people feel like they have, you know, something tangible to take with them from this podcast. So sound good, Brianne? Sounds good. Ready awesome. to roll. Yeah. Although absolutely. I will say if yeah. there's a guest out there who's like, it's about time you do belonging to self, please call <laughs> Carrie or send an email because we want you on this podcast. If you're listening that closely yes. and you're saying what we should be talking about, we yes. would like to talk with you, please. <laughs> absolutely. Yes. Please do. Yeah. Reach out. That's a good, good plug for the season, Brianne. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny, Brianne, it, it doesn't surprise me that we're starting with sort of a why question. Cause I feel like as you know, people who like write lots of papers and do workshops and facilitation and really just in teaching, I think both of us believe it's so important to say right up front, sort of what's the reason for doing what we're doing, right? We never want it to be just because there is sort of a method to our madness. And so 
I wasn't joking. Um, and maybe that's how I've been feeling that it's about damn time we're talking about self because my, I mean, <laughs> yeah. my why with respect to this topic is again, just honoring the way that we do our work is following the breadcrumbs. Like, I just feel like it keeps coming up in different shapes and sizes. And so it's just sort of, you know, been sort of a qualitative way to, for, to reach this sort of natural progression of wanting to focus in on self. I mean, the one thing that has resonated, well, so much has, but the one thing that's sitting with me today is um, I've been reading a lot of Dr. Lynn Miller's work and I'm fingers crossed that um, we'll get to invite her on the pod and maybe she'll say yes, is what she has said in her work is that to really understand belonging, you have to examine and talk with that which belongs. And to me, that's really saying <laughs> you got to talk to the individuals, right? That that belonging is social. We're wired for connection. It's relational. We know there's school belonging. And we also know that like, you know, there are individual actors within those those groups, those relationships, even if we're talking about pairs of relationships. And so, of course, we need to understand what's going in, on internally with the actor that's involved in that sort of connection. So, um, yeah, so that's where I'm sort of sitting with my why, Brianne. I'm curious what what you're thinking. Uh, I just feel like it all leads to this, to be honest with you. I mean, I think this wasn't on my mind really at the start in an explicit way. I think we were sort of getting to it more implicitly. And the more stories we heard and the more things we were reading it just like, it was like all roads led to the self. And of course, I mean, it makes so much sense when you, you know, I guess step back, but it really wasn't something that I would have said upfront mm. was um, kind of a prereq, like has, has to be first. Um, yeah. And now it's just clear to me, a, a couple of things that become more clear. That is one thing that, that belonging to self is critical. Um, and that I don't really think you can belong with others until there's some you know, sense of belonging to self. And, and the other thing that I'm learning is that those things change by the minute, by the hour. So it's not like a, an arrival, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think you can do work and I think you can move and you can shift in, in really big and significant ways. So I think there's progress that you can make in this space. I feel like I've made some progress just by virtue of our work together on this. Um, and at the same time, there's always progress to be made and you can kind of slip back into old feelings and habits. And um, so that that idea of it being dynamic, I think, is so real to me. Yeah. Yeah. I love that as you were talking. And I agree that it's that sort of minute by minute. And I go back to um, Dr. Paula Clark and, and during oh, yep. the pandemic, <laughs> we talked to her and her definition of belonging. I'll never forget. I think she was the first of our guests um, and friends that spoke about belonging as being dynamic and changing. And so that, that idea really stuck with me. And I think now, as you have articulated, of course you have to do the work of self and examine the self to really understand and experience belonging. I think it's funny, Brianne, I know you and I talked, um, a few days ago about, um, our own belonging stories and how some of the guests spoke of understanding belonging from a place of not belonging. Mm -hmm. And similarly, I'm starting to feel that 
the work that even I have done, I've seen others do, and additionally work around social emotional learning, diversity, equity, inclusion, the absence of a, a focus on self just like is is glaring to me these days now that we are noticing the importance of the self-work. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think that's interesting that, you know, similar to the sort of thwarted or social exclusion, um, we're seeing that sort of, you know, not talking about self and not giving individuals time to to think about self and name things for themselves is, is just a glaring missing piece of some of this work for me. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it, it, I just, I guess I feel like it, it gets a little preachy kind of quickly if you don't have, if you're yeah. not doing the the thing yourself and yeah. I, that just really, I think rubs people the wrong way. Cause it just kind of reeks of insincerity and yeah, Absolutely. you know, the sort of like authoritative totally. vibe. I, yeah. So yeah, it's like, uh, oh, you've lost me already. You've already lost your audience. <laughs> if, if you've lost that yeah. content, never had me actually. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So I think um, the additional piece of the why is is we're gonna take a very brief walk down memory lane. And so each of us, although it was very hard, I ended up even mm -hmm. writing down a couple of extras. Um, each of us is gonna share. Um, you know, just either a moment or a few moments across the seasons that really, I don't know, Brandon, that, that are sticking with us or resonating with us or bringing us to this idea of belonging to self. So it, it, something like that, right? I mean, that's, would you say it that way? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I would. Yeah. Okay. So I would invite you to share first if you're <laughs> sure. Um, you know, when we were talking briefly about what we wanted to talk about, I think probably any episode would fit the bill, but the one that came to mind right away for me was Dr. Mariana Carlucci, who is um, our colleague at Loyola. She, her office is literally a, a floor below me right now where I'm sitting. Um, <laughs> and she came on and she shared the story of her, well, her belonging story, which is she's an immigrant. She's a gay woman. She didn't speak English when she got here. Um, she lived in Florida grew up in Florida and lived there for quite some time. And she was so articulate about what that was to her, um, what belonging was to her and the ways that she went about seeking belonging when she didn't speak the language, which really prompted us to understand the five senses of belonging. So she was very influential in that. Mm. But where the belonging to self came about for me in her story was much later, actually. It's when she was teaching and she got tenure and she tells the story so well about how, when she first arrived here at um, Loyola, she was very hesitant to share who she was with others. She, I think was a little hesitant with herself as well. She probably maybe would say that um, certainly in, in certain contexts on campus and she did fine right? Like she did well, she, she earned tenure, she did the thing she taught, she wrote, she did what she needed to do. But she, as she told us in the episode, it wasn't really until um, she started to not only belong to herself, but share that she belonged to herself more publicly with her students and her colleagues, that she started to like, really take off and become like a revered faculty member, really. I mean, mm -hmm. students love her and colleagues have so much respect for her across all departments. I mean, she's really one of just the best leaders that we have here. Um, 
And that didn't happen until she acknowledged that belonging to herself and until she was comfortable enough in herself to share herself with others. And she will say that didn't happen until she got tenure because some of that comfort comes from the systems in which we live. And so she didn't feel comfortable until she knew she had job security, putting herself out there in ways that are so important to her identity and they make her who she is. And they are the reasons why we love her so much and why she's so great. Um, but she didn't feel comfortable or safe in those identities before she had tenure. So there's a lot to unpack there, but mm -hmm. I will tell you as a colleague that she is really unbelievably accomplished. And it's because she's so genuine. And I often think of like, what would she do in this situation with the student? She would just show up in a way that's so sincere and authentic. And she's just fun. Like, and you can just see that she is um, true to herself in, in her interactions. And so it's kind of neat to see that, you know, she shares her belonging story and then we see it at work. And then you see her just like soar professionally. Because we're in a place that, you know, that recognized that and, and saw that when she was true to herself, she really became the best version of herself. Mm. Yeah, I love that. She is. She's amazing. I don't know her as well as you do, but my interactions have been nothing but positive. I can't help but think <laughs> about, you know, the idea that, you know, there's sort of energy that we're giving off, right? Positive and negative. And I just yeah. feel like she just, when she walks into a room, it's like, I can sense just this like positive, lovely, joyful energy. And it just, you can't help but feel, feel it right. In some way, yeah. it's just like, she's just giving that off. And I think there's, it made me think of Nick and Nuff and their notion. We talked about force multiplier. And I just want oh, yeah. like when, when everyone is sort of in their own belonging, like, oh, what we can, oh, what's possible, right? Like in terms of what mm -hmm. we can accomplish. So I love that. So I did pick one and I have like trickling breadcrumbs of a couple <laughs> others because I couldn't <laughs> resist. Um, I have to say um, the person I chose, Dr. Astrid Schmidt-King, was someone that I did not know and had only met, um, you know, through you and in our conversation on the podcast. And I think what resonated with me is she told this beautiful story about her parents and her family and having this coffee shop. And she really just described so eloquently this sense of belonging that was created by this place. And mm -hmm. While she may not have used the five senses of belonging like Mariana did, I couldn't help but like smell and see and feel all of what she was describing. And I wonder, looking back, you know, that felt like the early seeds of the senses of belonging, right? That just like I hadn't, I don't know, I'd have to go back and look at the episodes, but I just don't know if we had been talking about belonging in such a clear and specific place based like that mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and people feeling um, like there was a familiarity. Um, and I think related to that, you know, bringing it into last season, we had so many wonderful guests and the two, I mean, you know that Dr. Jill Snodgrass, her notion of radical acceptance. Um, I think that really pushed my thinking because it, it sort of put a mirror in front of my face to 
to both radically accept self and also remember that that's a way to be with others and like what that's such a high bar and important goal to just you know it's a high bar and yet as Jill talked about it it should come with ease like there's there's no complication about it it's just you're accepted as you are right like period um and so I just love that and then the other one um was Christy Mahady and the resonance I mean I just love mm-hmm. I just love the thinking music, about yeah. resonance right like the ease <clears throat> and things like that so um so for me it was not so much that these guests spoke specifically of self but the way in which they describe knowing belonging and defining belonging just really implicitly harkens back to a need to think about self, right? That you're mm-hmm. detecting a resonance and and um, that familiar feeling in a place. So, but we have, I mean, I mentioned those couple, but like, I feel like we could go through every single episode and pick out breadcrumbs. <laughs> like, I know. Yeah. Allude to that. Um, and honestly, as we said in the intro, that's kind of what we're doing now. Um, we're lucky enough to get to write a book about belonging in this podcast and the data. And so we're getting to spend a lot of time in all of these transcripts. So, um, so I guess the other piece of this, so we said we were going to take a little walk down memory lane. The other piece we wanted to integrate here was sort of what we're seeing professionally. So maybe lift our heads up out of the research, out of the lived experiences of others and and talk about our own, own work. And I'm curious, Brianne, what do you see in your role as, I mean, you can pick or integrate teacher, advisor, leader, mother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think first of all, the idea of it being an ongoing process is huge. Mm. And it's something that keeps coming up for me. And I think inherent in the idea of something being a process is that you're not going to do great all the time, right? Mm. Because you have all these opportunities each day to Mm. show up or, you know, kind of interact with people. And something that I know you love Becky Kennedy, um, and I've been listening to her a bit is um, she wrote, she wrote good inside is the idea of repair. And like, what does it mean to repair? And I think I've been kind of sitting with that a lot with uh, certainly as a mom and also as a teacher and a colleague, because it just, for me, it gives a lot of freedom because if you just make a mistake and you just own the fact that like, that's not really what I meant to say, can we just go back and try that again? Or I'm sorry if that's how that landed. That's not really, wasn't my intent or, you know, just to kind of give yourself the grace to like unpack a little bit, which so this idea of being on a journey, the idea of repair connected me a lot to Mark Brackett's work with um, social emotional learning and his whole theory that like you really as the teacher have to do it yourself before you can teach the students. Yes. And I have to say, I mean, I can I can tell you where I was in my neighborhood when I was running and I heard that part and I was like, oh, shoot, because I was really <laughs> listening for this to like get a list of strategies to like, you know, have some great. Yeah. Lesson with my students. And I'm like, oh, good. You know, he's going to make me (laughs) look in the mirror. Um, And so I listened to it and I really believed it. And I think he's right. And I see that now. So, you know, professionally, when I step into that vulnerability and and try to do the work, and I don't overshare, I hope I don't overshare like the work with my students, but I do tell them that I'm just trying to figure this out also. Like we're all kind of in different stages of of these things. So to use Brene Brown, like there are boundaries to the sharing process, but I think I just try to be human and show up 
like myself with my students and my colleagues. And then things just go um, a lot better. And I will also say that I, since 2020, have been a lot more aware of the fact that it's easier for me to show up as myself than a lot of other people because Mm. of, you know, being white. And Mm. I mean, I literally grew up in this place that I'm teaching. (laughs) You know, I went to school here myself. So I really feel comfortable here. I feel like I belong here um, in a lot of important ways. And so that's a privilege. So for me to just say like, show up as yourself is a little flippant and it's not that easy. And I always feel like we have to be really careful about saying that. Mm -hmm. Um, That said, if you can find a space that feels good to show up, um, you know, authentically in some ways. And I know Kanita is so incredible. Our guest, she's been on a couple of times and she talks about, you know, just, you can be authentic, but you don't have to bring your whole authentic self every time. Just, just what you bring is, is real and true. Yeah. That piece really, um, you know, kind of resonated with me. So I guess that's in a long (laughs) circuitous way, how I'm trying to live this at work is to just make an effort to sort of like stand in my own integrity and Mm -hmm. repair and model that repair Mm. and communicate clearly. I mean, you know, the clarity that Brene Brown talks about, I really think that's Mm. so hard. And also I've seen it firsthand in my own work in my own department with colleagues, how huge it is, like hugely beneficial it is. Yeah. Yeah. So where I, do you that, stand with all of it? Yeah. I was going to say that clear is that clear is kind is something I yeah. go back to all the time, as hard as it is. And I think you can, mm-hmm. it takes work and intention. And I think you can be clear and, and be kind. Like it doesn't clear. doesn't have to be like lambasting somebody for something or giving negative feedback. Right. It, it can be, a, it can be delivered in a way that's true. Um, and constructive. So I appreciate it. In my work, I've collaborated directly with hundreds of educators to support their success. Do you know which of their ed tech frustrations comes up time and again? The sheer number of tools out there and the difficulty of knowing which ones schools like theirs are using to get results. IXL is different. Not only does it perform the functions of dozens of tools, It's currently delivering results for one in four U.S. students, including those in 95 of the top 100 districts. Another major pain point that comes up when a school is excited to implement a new tool only to find out the teachers hate it. Yikes. It helps to know that IXL is loved and trusted by more than one million teachers, saving them time on prep work while enabling them to better support student learning. IXL is research proven to accelerate achievement. Studies across 45 states show that IXL schools outperform non-IXL schools on state assessments. And independent research from Johns Hopkins University verifies that IXL meets ESSA Tier 1 standards. With those results combined with IXL's teacher-friendly reputation, what more could you ask for? If you have a goal to increase achievement for all students, Make sure to find out what IXL can do for you. Visit IXL.com forward slash BE for a demo. That's IXL.com forward slash BE. You know, I'm in a place where I too have a lot of privilege. So I, you know, walk through the world with visibly white person and understand the power and privilege that comes with that. I too am lucky enough that I'm in a stage in my career where I'm teaching classes like um, reflective leadership, 
And so I get to spend eight weeks with um, school leaders. I, I wouldn't even say teaching, guiding, discussing, conversing about, experimenting with all kinds of strategies and ideas around self-reflection. And so I feel like I absolutely believe this is the work we should be doing. And I think it's the work that we all should be doing in all the spaces, in meetings, in classrooms, in leadership programs, et cetera. And in fact, I have, um, I'm also doing some coaching um, alongside graduate students as they, you know, train academically for whatever it is their interests are. And I, I have always believed maybe to the, <laughs> to the chagrin of some of my academic leaders that human development was equal to academic development, intellectual mm -hmm. development. And that was not yes. always, um, a favored sort of view. And I think that's, I'm at a place now, I think university wise that at least is close to, to believing that. Um, and so I just think, I think personally, my own experiences, knowing the work I needed and wanted to do while I was maybe studying and, and learning how important it was to my development, I just think it's fundamental. I mean, I just think if we look at things like learning theory and we look at uh, some of the literature we're looking at now around sort of you know, uh, neuroscience and biology, it's, you cannot ignore the fact that like we are biologically wired to sense belonging and that social exclusion has cellular impact. Like we can't ignore it, right? Yeah. It just, it just happens. I just finished reading the article that you summarized um, where they used things like fMRIs and other medical tools to look at the brain and how the brain was activated by social exclusion and what mm -hmm. happens to sort of gray matter in the brain as it develops as, I mean, you know, even if you don't believe that emotions, that they're this ooey gooey, <laughs> like, like woo woo right. stuff, like the biology is telling us something different. Right. And yeah. so, um, yeah. So I just like double and triple down on wherever I can, whether it's in my classes with, meetings that I have with coaching, I hold a lot of space, um, for whatever is there. And, and I have learned from my own, I think the other thing that I've really sort of tried to embody is through my own work with, with coaches is I don't have to solve everything. I don't have to understand everything. And I have a coach who says, you don't have to alchemize it and interpret it, mm -hmm. just name it and let it be what it is. Like, let it just, just hold space for it. And then who knows, maybe it'll eventually just dissipate because that's just a natural progression, or maybe it'll invite you to do some work. You just don't know. Right. So, um, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's something new for me. Cause as a young person, I think for all sorts of reasons we could imagine, I did a lot of pushing down and running from and ignoring. Right. And that stuff just comes back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, as you're talking, I'm just thinking about what happened this week, which is um, our I'm teaching first year students, which I love. And Tuesday was our first class. Today's Thursday. Mm -hmm. um, Tuesday was our first class, and I spent a lot of time asking, like, what are you most excited about, and what are you most mm -hmm. concerned about? And we had great conversation. They were super interactive, um, to the detriment ultimately of our schedule because we just didn't get through all the syllabus. Yeah. And so I left 
feeling like, okay, I really feel like they got a lot of questions answered. We got a lot of things out. Every voice was heard, which is wonderful. And they don't know anything about the tests and the quizzes and the papers. And (laughs) how are they going to be feeling about that? Like, I knew that we could get to it today, but I felt uncomfortable leaving that hanging. Yeah. So my check-in question this morning was, what's one word to describe how you're feeling right now, which was intentionally shorter than (laughs) Tuesdays because I needed to get to some things. But um, it was awesome because you know what the words were? Ready, grounded, reassured, because, and not just because of our class, but because they're having this experience here and they're literally their first days of people to care, people want to help them and they're going to be okay. Yeah. And then today we got to talk about the expectations and all that stuff. And so I was worried about that, but it worked out great. And it actually worked out better than I thought it would just hearing their, you know, their words. And there were, there was stress and there was homesickness. So there were, there was a lot of honesty in the room, but the overall sense was like, we're going to be okay. And on Tuesday, it was a very different story because it was like day one. So just a little anecdotal piece of evidence that what you said is so true, I think, which is just attending to that whole person is really, really critical. And then we can certainly cover the the content as well. Yeah. I mean, I just, I love that. I mean, I had a similar experience with my graduate students last week because I do, um, exit tickets every class to check in and you could see the sort of I asked some prompt questions and they input it and you could see like beginning of class they were nervous worried not sure and then end of class there was clarity excitement curiosity and I just think like people say we don't have time we don't have time we don't have time right and I I just feel like for me and your evidence suggests if you don't attend to the whole person the first day you're going to have to go back to it every single time you meet the students in class and probably more through emails that are like nervous, unsure, worried. And so mm-hmm. that whole idea of grounding, even just a few minutes of grounding every time you see them, yeah. I actually think you save time in the long run. <laughs> oh, I agree. And you know what? Our class today was awesome. Yeah, we, we did a lot of content. We did a lot of cool stuff. Well, I mean, I thought it was cool, but a lot of, <laughs> you know, actual content and they were so engaged. They asked a million questions. We didn't get through it all, but I posted a couple of things online. It all just worked out and they were like with me. Yeah. And I don't know if they would have been with me as much if we hadn't done, you know, the pre-work and then even the check-in this morning. So we talk about this all the time, but for some reason, when it, when it works, I'm still like, Ooh, (laughs) it's, it works. It's still exciting to me. So it is. It's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. So we both sort of went back and forth. um, And because we're going to be asking our wonderful guests this season to share parts of their belonging story, um, we thought that we would share just a snippet of our own personal belonging story. Um, And so I don't know if you want to go first. You want me to go first? I would like you to go first this time. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, yeah, I'll, so I have, I'll be quick in that I have like a quick snippet and then I'm actually just going to read something that I found because I thought it would, would be a way to, to express it. Um, so I gave this a lot of thought. Um, I mean, I've been giving it a lot of thought over the summer. Like you said, it's interesting, Brianne, that as we've really dug more into this work in preparation for the book and writing, 
there's been a lot of soul searching, right? Like that this has really been soulful work. So much. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I feel like yeah. I've been this this sort of topic has been on my mind for a while. So it was fun to sort of try to put it to words. And and I'll be honest and say that I don't think I felt a sense of belonging in the way that we've learned and heard from others and here in the literature until I was in my 30s. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to be clear, because at first people are probably like, oh, that's so sad. Um, and sure, like having a sense of belonging early on would be awesome. But I also want to be clear. I was not alone, you know, mm -hmm. beyond, from zero to 30. It's a I was distinction. Not, a, it's a I was not alone. I had friends. I was loved by family and friends. I was well cared for, honestly, probably more than many. Mm -hmm. And I just was cared for. I was among other people and loving, being loved, being cared for doesn't always lead to belonging and being seen yeah. in the way that that I think human beings need to be seen. So so I would just want to be really clear about that. Um so I think my first sense of belonging and and I went back because I was a, a couple of years ago um my community asked me to speak um, at the the Pride event in town. And so I spoke about um, my, I think, what was my sort of first um, sense of belonging. And so I'll just read. It's just a paragraph. Um, so I said, a brief history. I've been married to Susan Harrison for now it's 21 years. Um, and after dating for about nine months, Susan invited me to my first pride parade. We were in Baltimore. And when we arrived at the day's events, I was filled with so many emotions, joy, love, care, kindness, pride, respect, concern, and anger, all the things. And it was perfectly okay to feel all the things, express who you are, who we are, and celebrate with singing, dancing, and just moving. This, there's also something you should know about my wife, Susan. She was the first person outside of my grandmother who saw me for me, who, when she heard my story, listened with care and kindness, didn't want to change me, didn't need me to align with any set of expectations, and never tried to alter my plans, aspirations, or anything for that matter. In those early days of our relationship, she set the bar very high for what I now understood I deserved from others and myself. This journey continues and I am a work in progress. And the one other thing I will say, and it sounds a little cheesy, but I actually really love this. So there is a bit from um, Kelly Clarkson. I can't believe I'm quoting her because I never liked her before, <laughs> but I love this song, Broken and Beautiful. Oh, yeah. And there is a part in the song that says, I never held my hand out and asked for something free. I got pride. I could roll out for miles in front of me. I don't need your help and I don't need sympathy. I don't need you to lower the bar for me. I know I'm superwoman. I know I'm strong. I know I've got this because I've had it all along. I'm phenomenal and I'm enough and I don't need you to tell me who to be. Can someone just hold me? Don't fix me. Don't try to change a thing. Can someone just know me? Because underneath I'm broken and it's beautiful. And I just feel yeah. like to me, wow. the reason I love that song is because I'm just like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly, I mean, I just feel like she couldn't have said it for me any better. And so, um, yeah. So when I was thinking about it, I mean, Susan, you know, of all my relationships, um, I mean, she, and I've told you before, Brianne, I mean, she just, she's loyal and she just, with, she wouldn't say, she wouldn't say it this way. So I think it's funny, um, but she knows how to hold space for other people. 
like she mm-hmm. just can. And I think partly she learned that from her parents who are sort of to each their own, right? And are able to hold space. And and I just it's just so funny because like, you know, I met her when I was in grad school getting my PhD. Um, it was awesome super romantic and awesome. And then when we got together and I came to her and was like, with my Excel spreadsheet, I came to her and I was like, I want to go back and get my ED, another doctorate. The woman did not flinch. <laughs> she was like, is this something you want to do? And I, we talked about it. And I said, this is what I figured out financially. And she's like, just go ahead, do it. I mean, that's just her response to most things is like, let's figure it out. Right. And I just... I don't know. She just, she's the first person in like this kind of relationship that um, I just feel like, you know, gives me the space to sort of be me, right? Whatever that. And she sort of just loves me for me um, regardless. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's just, yeah, that's my. Oh, of course it makes sense. Yeah. No, I love, I appreciate all that. Um, and I especially appreciate the beginning too, because, you know, we've tried to articulate this before, like this, this belonging story. And I love what you said at the beginning, like to, to not feel a strong sense of belonging does not necessarily mm. equate to being alone or traumatized or, you know, things yeah. like that. Cause I would say that I always had friends and I certainly was cared for and loved and all of those things yeah. that a lot of people don't have. And I have a lot of gratitude for that. In fact, it kind of confused me for a while because I'm like, <laughs> yeah, how can I have all those things and not feel like totally in sync? Um, yeah. Because, um, but anyway, I just love what you said about Susan and how finding that person, you know, it's ironic, I guess, because we're talking about belonging to self and yet, you know, much of what you just said was about Susan yeah. and how like Susan allowed you to come come more into yourself, which of course, because we're wired for connection and yeah. Oh, that makes sense. And I would say my story is similar in that, you know, ultimately it circles back to Jason, my husband, who, spoiler alert, was my rowing coach. <laughs> um, and even though we weren't dating at the time, the story would be more fun if, if that was the case, but that's really not true. Because <laughs> um, we're like rule followers to the core, yeah. so that would never happen. <laughs> um, but when I wrote uh, my belonging story, you know, for our book, I really wasn't sure what I was going to write, to be honest with you. And I sat down to do it and I just kind of had a moment and just one of those free write sessions where like the words come and you just, it's so nice because <laughs> you just hope for that. Um, and so I can just read a paragraph, I guess, of the story, just with the context that for me, it was really all about the sport of rowing mm-hmm. that <clears throat> kind of helped me to come into my own belonging. And there were, there were threads of that from home because we always had boats and we're on the water a lot. Um, so not this type of boat. I had not rowed before, but it was a familiar place to me. It was a place that I always enjoyed and, and liked. So to be on the water was not crazy in that sense, but it was a new adventure. I had never done that before. So um, here's a paragraph, I guess, that will help sort of clarify a little bit. The sun rose as we practiced, and by the time we lifted the boats out of the water and returned them to the racks, the rest of the city was awake. Back on campus, we grabbed breakfast on our way to class, comparing blisters, lamenting our fatigue, and dreading the afternoon workout, and building lifelong friendships. The blisters, fatigue, and relationships were very real. I never liked when the alarm went off so early, or the condition of my hands, or my cracked ribs, or torn hamstrings, but I loved rowing. I loved rowing because it was a place where who I was at my core was seen and valued. 
I have always been a hard worker, but my work ethic had never been indulged with such intensity. I've always thrived on self-discipline and made my bed in the morning, but never quite so early. I've always had friends, but never any as close as the rowers. There was a sacredness to our work as we witnessed the darkness turn to light every morning, as we sliced the flat water with our oars, leaving puddles behind us, fleeting evidence of our meters of effort. Together, we felt the deep cold of frosty mid-March mornings give way to the welcomed warm air of the spring. We lived the juxtaposition of the silence of sleeping kids on the way to practice and the pumping music and laughter on the way back to campus every single day. Persistence, sincerity, connection, and for me, faith. These are the values that made boats go fast. They are the secret to the perfect stroke. They're also my core values. The alignment of the recipe for success on the water with my own values fostered belonging. I was seen. My strengths and gifts were recognized, needed, and celebrated. And I never could have articulated this at the time. I just knew what I felt, which was warmth, deep joy, support, and ease. The work wasn't easy, but there is an ease to belonging, to feeling connected to oneself and with others, and rowing offered that to me. So I just so appreciated the opportunity to reflect on this because I, I hadn't. I had never with all the work that we talk about with belonging, I hadn't really thought about like, when did it really start? What did it look like? What did it feel like? Who's around me? Just unpacking the moment. And so um, for me, it was, it was certainly on the water. Yeah. I love that. I think I agree. I appreciated the opportunity to do it too. Cause as much as we're immersed in the water, in the water, as much as much <laughs> as we're immersed in the work in the water too. Um, I don't know that I'm always thinking about sort of my own experiences, right? I'm really focused on the data and the research and trying not to impose my own. And yet I think what I'm learning from this is it just, again, it just, it's just re-emphasizing how complex and layered belonging is. Cause I, like you struggled for a long time and I look, we've said it once and I'll say it again, just to be clear, like I come from privilege. Like I still feel like I have a lot of privilege. And so to say, I didn't feel a sense of belongings felt paradoxical or wrong mm, yeah. or some tension. Right. And I just, for me, what I'm, what I'm taking out of it and taking moving forward with, uh, with my perspective as a parent is that what I'm noticing is that I can never be all things to my kids. And that like the, the, some of the best things I can do for my kids is make sure they have a community of diverse experiences, individuals, views, and as long as they're loved, right, loved and safe and cared for and things that are different from me and, and do my best not to feel threatened or worried or like they're not going to want to come back to me because they're introduced to this person. Because I think I mean, my family did love me, does love me. My family does care for me and took wonderful care for me and they couldn't be all things for me. And for some critical pieces, that meant that I didn't feel like I belonged. Um, but mm. that's not, I don't think that's a fault. I think that's a reality for me of the complexity of belonging. <laughs> I mean, no one person can be responsible for someone else's belonging. It just can't be possible. 
I just believe Yeah, that. I think that was a big wake-up call for us. Um, yeah. Throughout this work is that you just can't create it, even for the people, you know, for the people you created, you can't yeah. create it. So, yeah. 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 I mean, I think back, it's funny. I'm, I'm excited. I want to enjoy the journey of this book and I'm excited to see what it looks like at the end, because I think something else that's really been true for me through this, all of our work over the past four or five years is I look back at my early sort of attempts to cultivate community and a sense of belonging. And it was so um, like I could impose it on somebody else, right? Like I could bring it, check, I'm done. And I just, that's not, that's no longer my approach. Like all I can do is create space and all I can do is invite and all I can do is ask a good question and hope that it resonates. And if it doesn't, I stay curious about what about it didn't resonate, right? Like I keep, I keep asking and ask, asking and unlayering and unlayering until maybe we're lucky enough that everybody in that space feels a resonance at some point in that hour. So um, I don't know. It's really different. Yeah. It is different. It's, um, you know, it's like Jill's statement. It's, it's simple, but the, not easy. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so I'm excited. I mean, I think these stories, I'm crossing my fingers that this is a glimpse into the kind of conversations we will have with our guests. And we have both mentioned several times that um, while we are different in many, many ways, we are similar in ways like our whiteness, our socioeconomic background, the privilege that we hold, the roles that we have professionally. And with that in mind, we have been very intentional in in reaching beyond our network, personal and professional, to invite guests, some of uh, whom we do not know except from reading something or getting a recommendation from someone about someone you should speak with. Um, And so... We are hopeful that these stories of belonging to self will feel resonant because we've been able to capture and invite and hear from diverse individuals from diverse contexts at different in different, I don't know, places and spaces and even in different moments in their lives, um, Mm -hmm. which I think will be cool. So, um, yeah, we're we're stretching our guest list. And I feel like in a lot of ways, Brianne, we're stretching ourselves because. I'm nervous. <laughs> oh, I know. Me too. Yeah. Like cue the imposter syndrome. As soon yeah. as these mm. guests said yes on email, I'm like, oh. I know. I'm like, oh, that's I'm great. I'm so excited. And, and also now like, I'm oh, so gosh, nervous. Now I'm nervous. Yeah. 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 So I've done a lot of um, self-coaching on what's that nervousness about and trying to prepare. I mean, I think in the end it'll be great. Um, but yeah. I have a nervousness about these interviews that I haven't had in a while. So, um, so I think it's good for us. I think it's good for us yeah. to get out of our comfort zone and it'll be good for the work to hear from, from all kinds of people. So yeah. yeah. Um, anything else to add before we wrap? No, I'm excited. This was a fun, fun conversation and it just gets me excited for the season. We'll have to get everybody going on the schedule. It makes me want to get going. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So we um, hopefully the next episode will be our first interview with a guest. Um, And then periodically, as we said, we will 
come in with some reflections on the season as well as give you an update on our progress with the book and then uh, maybe a couple of other uh, familiar faces, voices. We'll we'll come back. We'll see. So um, so thanks for tuning in. This has been another episode of Tell Me This, and we are in Slow season five, down, Belonging God to Self. Um, be well and take care, everybody. So sincere under the glaciers of your last year. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.